You're in the WOR Sports Zone with Pete McCarthy. We'll get into the latest on the Mets GM hunt uh, coming up as Jim Duquette, Sirius XM, SNY, and of course uh, the former GM of the New York Mets uh, joins us right now here in the Sports Zone. How we doing, Duke? What's going on, Pete? How you doing, buddy? I'm great. I'm great. I, I have a feeling tonight, Yank Sox game four, this is going to be a chaotic game. You, you see it that way? Uh, you know, I, I do. I, I think, um, I mean, listen, from, from the Yankee side, I think it has to be. You know, when you're that one, you know, uh, you know, final elimination game, you have to play it a lot more uh, aggressively than what I think Aaron Boone's done before this. I, mean, I think he's been a little too uh, long in terms of letting them, uh, letting the starters go out there mm-hmm. a couple different times, especially Severino last night. And, uh, yeah, I think he, he's paid for it. Last night in particular, he paid for it. And I think, you know, trying to, I don't know if he was trying to save his bullpen. I, the matchup wasn't very good, in my opinion, when he went to Lynn after that. So, uh, you're going to see a lot of chaos, I think, just on the pitching front. We'll see how far CC can go. I don't know if Sebastian can get through the lineup, you know, the first time. They're hopeful that he can. Uh, and just kind of evaluate it from there. But I think it's, uh, you know, you're going to see a lot of pitchers. Likely you're going to see a lot of pitching tonight. And then you can see the pinch hitters. And tonight, the managers are going to be busy. And if it does come down to a chess match between Aaron Boone and Alex Cora, these are both first year managers. But who do you think would have the edge? Well, I, I mean, I'll tell you, I like the buttons that Alex Cora has pushed uh, personally. Uh, you know, when you look at, you know, that's, I mean, just taking last night as an example, he went with four different guys in the lineup, uh, you know, and Hold ends up uh, paying dividends for him. But each one of those guys, Vasquez, Devers, they all they all contributed uh, last night. I thought changing Evaldi to game three rather than going to them in game four, uh, even going with Porcello in game one. I mean, he's. He's really limited because Stephen Wright was supposed to be a huge part of his bullpen, and he's out for the for the series. So, I, I think Alex has been pretty good, pretty spot on. He's gone with his gut, but it, but it's been uh, it's been pretty good, I think overall. Uh, more more than to say, Aaron. I think you know Booney's been you know he's obviously missing Hicks that hurts. Although he's in the lineup tonight, but uh, I, I did not care for a couple of his uh, his moves, especially last night. That, that was the, the game for me that I was a little surprised at. Yeah, and leaving Severino, and as you mentioned, uh, going to Lance Lynn in that spot. And we could see you know, some starting pitchers coming out of the pen again, including uh, David Price. Would you be leery to go to Price if you were Cora? Not only because he struggled uh, in the postseason and against the Yankees, but uh, the fact that it's going to light up that whole stadium when David Price right. comes in if he does enter tonight. I don't know if you heard. Did you hear what the announcement when they uh, – Introduced him on the field. Yeah, he uh, got cheered. They cheered him. <laughs> they cheered him. <laughs> right. So, I mean, that's typical. The New York uh, crowd, New York fan, I mean, they're not going to lay off yet. They're going to, when he's warming up in a pen, they're going to be all over him. Uh, and even if he is upset, angry, whatever it might be, motivated, more motivated if he can be that at this point in the year. Um, I don't like the men, me, uh, mental matchup with him, uh, you know, in Yankee Stadium. I would not go to him tonight. I know he. He said he's available, but I, I would stay away from him unless it's, uh, you know, you got to break glass and, and uh, you know, in case of emergency type of deal. Otherwise, I'm going with pretty much everybody else out of the, out of the bullpen at this point because, uh, because of that problem, because of, you know, the way I think it would go for him in, in the stadium. Even though I like him out of the bullpen, I, I don't like him out of the bullpen at Yankee Stadium. Yeah, and we're talking again with Jim Duquette, Sirius XMS, and why I agree with you on that. Uh, yeah, we'll bounce around real quick, uh, but the Astros, Alex Bregman, uh, he was 
willing to say that he's unhappy that the Astros were playing these daytime games and the Yanks Sox get everything at prime time, and you understand how TV works. But uh, what did you think of Bregman going out on that limb after sweeping the Indians yesterday? Well, if they, if the, if the TV ratings were a little higher in that series, I'd say he has some kind of argument, but they, they aren't. Uh, you know, I think the, the, the ratings, it's clear what, you know, what the ratings have been with Boston and New York. And you know, if I'm, if I'm, a, you know, one of the, if I'm, uh, you know, TBS in this situation, uh, I got to go with a higher profile game. That's the way the postseason has always been. It's always been that way. So, you know, I think what MLB's done, I think during the course of the year, they've done a better job, not, not a, great job but a better job of dividing up and getting you know other teams exposure i think kansas city uh this year was on a national broadcast which you hardly ever see and they weren't very good but i mean you know very rarely do you see them in a national broadcast anyway so they're they're making attempts in that area i i think if you're houston i mean listen you're gonna you're gonna certainly be higher profile this next round anyway no matter who you play they will be and i think last year the astros we're kind of a likable underdog uh, on the way up kind of story. I think that's going to change this year. Do, do you get the sense that this team is ready to be hated a, a little bit? <laughs> well, yeah, I think so. I mean, I think, you know, the other thing with Bregman, let's not forget this guy has, it plays with a chip on his shoulder. Like he, 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 he just gets angry about everything, right? He's still upset that the Diamondbacks didn't draft him number one overall. That's why he wears number two in the back of his jersey. Uh, he, he was the number two pick uh, that year in the draft. It was, 20, it was 2015. So, so he plays with an edge and a little bit of a chip, and, and which is okay. But I do think that the Astros, they're, hard, they're a harder team to like uh, because uh, there, is a, there is a confidence or a swagger that they have that they possess. Even all the way up into the front office, there's a lot of uh, – you know, feeling that the, the GM there in the front office thinks they're smarter than everybody else. It's kind of the feel that you used to get with, uh, you know, with Billy Bean around the game, at least in, in the scouting circle. So, yeah, I don't think there's any love loss for that team, uh, at least a lot of the baseball people I talk to. Ah, that's interesting. I think you'll see that. Oh, and we will see that uh, coming up this October. Look, the Warriors, they were likable at first, and then, uh, you know, yeah. they've become yeah, the villains think- of the NBA in a lot of ways, and uh, the Astros might be poised to make that turn here uh, as we chat with Jim Duquette. Uh, how about the Mets? Uh, what is the, the latest that you hear, Jim, about their hunt for a new general manager? Well, they're they're keeping it very close to the vest, even though they've had what I think four or five names that have kind of crept out um, into into the public realm. Uh, and yeah, you know, listen, I know the candidates that they're talking to. Uh, I, I have to be honest; I'm not overwhelmed with them yet. I think there are four other, three or four others that are uh, also in the mix, and you know we'll see what happens. But um, I, I do think that in the end. Um, you know, there's a, there's a standard. You know, listen, whether you like the job that Sandy Alderson did or not, uh, he did have a level of success there, and he had a level of intelligence. He had a, a, a really uh, a good resume, uh, and that to me, he created this. He created a standard for the next general manager for me. And how do they how do they stack up both president and GM? Which I think they may go with a, a combination of a president and a GM. The GM might be under that scenario I just mentioned. The GM might be. You know, an inexperienced first-time GM with a experienced, you know, baseball executive above him as the president. If that was the case, I'd be, I'd be certainly in favor of that because I, I don't think, even though they have a bunch of uh, executives there, I don't think they have the depth that they should uh, in terms of uh, developing people within their front office to become just a general manager candidates. I, you don't ever see executives 
uh, unfortunately, even John Ricca doesn't get calls from other teams to be interviewing and in, you know GM positions there, and that, that's a, to me a, a knock against the organization in general. How about uh, you know we talked with Steve Phillips last night, and and he expressed that if he was you know uh, looking at that job, he would be asking about the chain of command, and you have a lot of other voices there. Uh, how what would be something that you would want to know more about if that Mets job, if you were uh, you know one of those candidates, being someone who has an idea of how the organization works? Well, I mean, listen, I, I know a lot of the guys that are still there. I hired a couple of them, uh, so I'm pretty familiar with. Uh, the structure. I think there are some unusual uh, circumstances right now, and there's some unusual factions that I'd want to know about. Uh, you know, there's a uh, seems to be a, a, a difference of opinion in terms of old school or new school baseball guy that they want to bring in. Uh, I know uh, Jeff Wilpon said on the uh, last day of the season that you know the, the current existing group he he would like them to be back, but he wasn't going to settle the new GM with that. Uh, that's the people who have interviewed for that candidacy or, or are going to interview for it. They don't get that impression. So, you know, that's something that really has to get clarified. I mean, you have an experienced but yet young up-and-coming uh, executive like Ben Sherrington taking his name out of the uh, out of the interview process. That, to me, would be concerning. What is he What is he thinking? What is he hearing and knowing uh, that, that, you know, hasn't gotten out publicly? So, uh, that, to me, is, is something I think that needs to get answered here over the next couple of weeks. Is there something the Mets can do, uh, whether it's speaking publicly or, or privately, however it works, to encourage those brighter candidates, you know, like a Ben Charrington, that mm-hmm. this is going to be a, a good fit for them at this point? Or is perception just reality as to what the, the Mets are? Well, I, I think there's a couple of things. I think that that was... Uh, the organization's attempt uh, and Jeff Wolpon's attempt on uh, that Sunday after at the end. But I think it takes more than just that. Like it, more than just coming out and saying, saying it that way. I think it, it takes, for me, a private conversation or a couple private conversations, uh, uh, a recruiting process to some degree. It's not just about, hey, are you interested and you should be interested in the New York Mets large market baseball club. There's more to it than that. And if you want a candidate, you think there's a good candidate out there. And I think Ben is a really good one. I think Fad Levine with Minnesota would be fantastic. I think there's others. David Forst uh, with Oakland, he's a GM there. I'd be all out blitz on somebody like that. You got to go out and recruit those type of guys to get them. Uh, they're not just falling off the tree and, and wanting to come into New York necessarily. So I think that's the, 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 the direction if I were in that. Almost like trying to woo a free agent to the Mets. Um, you know, and you, you have a lot of competition there. That's how I would try to address it, try to go after the guy that I want. Make the highlight video, you know, pictures at Times yeah. Square, the billboards, right? The whole nine Mike, yards. The Mike Cameron, the Mike Cameron video. Make <laughs> that bad boy out for the GM. <laughs> All right. Uh, Jim Duquette, always a pleasure, sir. Thank you. All right, Pete. We'll talk to you soon. All right, Jim Ducat, uh, SNY, Sirius XM, and yeah, uh, had uh, had all the stops out from Mike Cameron uh, all those years ago, and it worked. They got Cameron in, and um, you know, played a tremendous uh, center field defensively for the Mets before he ended up, you know, getting moved over when Carlos Beltran came to town. But uh, as far as you know, the Mets GM job is concerned, you know, again, you hear that. 
these top candidates, they are nervous and uncomfortable with certain aspects of how uh, the Mets operate and are thought to operate. And as uh, Duke alluded to, there are some factions within the organization right now. And, and these are the kind of things that, you know, have to get cleaned up. And, and I think, you know, when the, the Mets make a decision and you're scratching your head, oh, that doesn't make sense. That doesn't jive with what Mickey Calloway had said a few days ago. And, and these things would pop up over the course of the year. Uh, this is what it all stems from, is that not everybody is on the same page. And that, that's what they have to try to clean up. And that's what you have an opportunity to do uh, with this hire, whether it be a, a president of baseball operations, a general manager, they can end up bringing in both. Um, and, you know, look, you don't necessarily have to push everybody else out here, but you have to get everybody playing on the same team, playing on the same page. Um, you know, as Steve Phillips talked about last night, that chain of command where only one person is the voice of owner or the ear of ownership, and they're not listening to a bunch of other people within the organization, outside the organization as well. Uh, that's how you have factions and, and issues and those kinds of things that they do show themselves uh, at various times, and, and they have certainly for the Mets in the past. So, um, you know, these are some of the things they got to, you know, try to convince the, these top candidates, hey, it's going to be your team. Uh, it, it's going to be, you know, your decision making. You can build it in the way that you want. And, you know, we'll uh, we'll see if they are successful in, in convincing some of these top guys that's the case. Or, you know, again, the, the candidates that we've heard thus far, they are underwhelming. And, you know, they could just end up with... Uh, I mean, something more than a, a puppet general manager, but you know, you'd wonder how much power uh, that person really has and how much of it you know, still lies uh, in the hands of ownership. And even though Jeff Wilpon said, hey, I'm not picking the players, uh, I'm not doing that kind of thing, he ultimately you know, does give the thumbs up, thumb down at the end, and, and we have seen them you know, nick some deals uh, like they reportedly did for Jason Kipnis uh, this past offseason. 800-321-0710. Again, 800-321-0710. Uh, we'll have uh, Clark Judge, Talk of Fame Network, going around the NFL with him in the 8 o'clock hour. And, and how about Lil Wayne firing back at Eli Manning, of all things? So uh, We'll hit that as well uh, coming up. It's the Sports Zone with Pete McCarthy on The Voice of New York, 710 WOR. You're in the WOR Sports Zone with Pete McCarthy. All right, back here in the Sports Zone, uh, we got Game 4 tonight. Let's hope Angel Hernandez isn't the headline of this game afterwards. Uh, last night, uh, a miserable game for Angel Hernandez at first base. He missed three calls. He had three calls overturned in one game at first base, and now he's going to be behind the plate. And uh, this is something that he's been an unpopular figure for many years uh, to the point where quite a few former players spoke out about Angel Hernandez, including Paul LaDuca, who tweeted last night, how Angel Hernandez is still umpiring, let alone the playoffs, is unreal to me. He is by far the worst umpire in the league every single year. And then Chipper Jones echoed that, quote tweeted uh, LaDuca and so I, can I retweet this a hundred times so it gets the point across? So you have uh, and these guys haven't played in years. So you know it's not just uh, an umpire who's been around maybe a few too many seasons and isn't making the right calls anymore. It's always been an issue, and um, 
you know, let's hope that's not the storyline, overriding storyline of this game. Now, CC Sabathia did have a bit of a run-in with Angel Hernandez earlier this season in Anaheim, uh, where as he was leaving after he pitched well, he threw a good six, seven innings, uh, but he was unhappy with a call in that last inning and started yelling at Angel Hernandez a little bit. Uh, you'd hope Sabathia can, can shake that off, but somebody did the work of looking up how many times, uh, Sabathia has pitched a game with Angel Hernandez behind the plate. And unfortunately, uh, uh, I'm not able to credit it and write down, but, um, for CC Sabathia, He's only had Angel Hernandez behind the plate in his long career. I mean, almost 20 years. Four times. And you think that pitchers, umpires, that they match up quite a bit or you know, really you have a feel for how an umpire calls a game. And then you see something like that, that Angel Hernandez and CeCe Zabathia have only crossed paths four times with Hernandez behind the plate in the long career of CeCe Zabathia. It's pretty amazing. You don't really uh, get that feel. And they have all the stats and numbers now where you can understand, hey, some umpires might have a lower zone or a higher zone. But to think that issues are going to fester over years and years and years, it, it doesn't. you don't see it occur much. And I don't think it's uh, much of a concern tonight as far as CC Sabathia goes. So, uh, again, game four tonight, I think it's going to be wild. A lot of movements from the bullpens. Uh, you're going to have a lot of moves for Aaron Boone and Alex Cora. And, you know, that could be an edge for the Red Sox. And Alex Cora has done a nice job in this series. But Aaron Boone certainly has a more stacked deck to deal with as far as the bullpen goes. So I, I still do like the Yankees tonight uh, to extend this series and send it back to Fenway Park. Uh, as for what's happening with the New York Giants here, uh, of course, Odell Beckham Jr. doing the ESPN interview this weekend with Lil Wayne next to him. And Eli Manning yesterday made, made that perfect crack to try to defuse a, a situation and uh, said yesterday that he doesn't listen to Lil Wayne or doesn't watch Lil Wayne. And and that got everybody to chuckle a little bit. Hey, see, look, there's no hard feelings after Odell uh, had been critical of Eli Manning. I think he'd been honest about him and and made fair points, but you know you don't expect that to come from within the house. And so uh, apparently, Lil Wayne, he sounded like he was hurt by Eli Manning's comment. Eli Manning says, "quote unquote," I don't watch Lil Wayne much. Um. He sounds hurt. I, I think it, it it bruised his ego a, a bit. And, you know, they're both from Louisiana, as is uh, Odell Beckham Jr. But uh, here's uh, more from Lil Wayne on his Instagram last night on Eli. I didn't say anything bad about you, man. Dang. So I ain't going to say nothing bad about you now. But anyway, you still hometown love. I f with you, Eli. It's all good. You ain't got to watch much of me. But you can't listen if you could. You probably need to, the way you've been playing, you probably need to bang some call to five before a game. Just a consideration. Now, if you couldn't hear it, he said uh, you probably should listen considering the way you're playing. After he said, oh, I'm not going to criticize you, Eli. I'm not going to come at you. And then couldn't help himself. Couldn't help himself at all. <laughs> 
<laughs> and now Eli you know, gets uh, gets in the middle of all of this. Apparently, they had a sense of humor about it at Giants practice today, and they were blasting a little Wayne uh, during the practice. So, um, you know, it, it's it's just one of those things that circulates that you don't really need over the course of the season, and and we have seen uh, happen you know quite a bit over the years with uh, o- Odell Beckham. But uh, you know the fact that Lil Wayne was there, I, I said as much last night that it, it doesn't allow you to really take Odell seriously when that's the case. And you know Lil Wayne was upset about even that kind of criticism, uh, but it's absolutely true. If you want. If you're an NFL star like Odell Beckham Jr. and you want to make a point about your team and, and you have a reason to do so, uh, you know you, you express it yourself. You don't need to do it with Lil Wayne sitting next to you or anybody, any entertainer, any athlete uh, sitting next to you. Um, and, and But one thing that I, I did notice last night, and, and I don't know exactly how the interview came together, but I do know, you know, Lil Wayne and Odell Beckham Jr., they're both from Louisiana and have developed a friendship over the years, uh, and they talked about other things in the interview, and I, I guess there'll be a longer version that's going to be released to YouTube at some point, but ESPN also is Monday Night Football, and who is the entertainer for the halftime show last night but Lil Wayne? And so he's got a new album coming out. Uh, so, you know, he's promoting and, and that kind of thing. The game happened to be in New Orleans. But how much of this was, you know, hyping Lil Wayne's aspect of things that he was going to have a performance on Monday Night Football and, and putting him out there uh, publicly to, you know, rally up some interest for that. And, I, you know, that kind of leaves me shaking my head and, and wondering, you know, how do these things really end up transpiring? Because everybody, one of the first questions was not so much what Odell Beckham Jr. said, but just the oddity of the interview featuring an entertainer, any entertainer. It doesn't have to be anything personal with Lil Wayne himself. It's just, uh, it's like Eli Manning doing uh, an interview next to Brad Paisley or something. Like, well, why is he there? <laughs> why does that have to be the case? You can come up with some wild combinations, I'm sure, of athletes and, uh, you know, uh, musicians that would be sitting next to him. But it's, it's a sports interview in what we saw come out this weekend. And yet, so you wonder how to come together. Why is he there? Um, and, you know, Eli used that to try to defuse the situation and apparently hurt Lil Wayne in the process. So uh, hopefully uh, Lil Wayne will get past it. Uh, but 800-321-0710, the number. Again, 800-321-0710. We'll take some calls coming up next segment, and uh, we'll be going around the NFL in the 8 o'clock hour. Clark Judge, uh, Talk of Fame Network, he's tremendous. Uh, I'll give us some of the storylines as we head to week six already of the NFL season. It's the Sports Zone with Pete McCarthy on The Voice of New York, 710-WOR. It's the WOR Sports Zone with Pete McCarthy on 710-WOR. All right, we take some phone calls here, 800-321-0710, all on the table. Talk some Mets, some Yankees. Uh, it's game four tonight. Uh, the Giants playing a desperate game on Thursday against the Philadelphia Eagles, 1-4, and four going into uh, that week six clash on a short week. Uh, so let's uh, start it up. Allen in Queens is there. What's on your mind, Allen? Hi, Pete. How are you doing? Yeah. I would put uh, last year J.D. Martinez has had us 
ahead of Giancarlo Stanton for MVP. I wouldn't have given him MVP because okay. he didn't play a full year, but I still would have put him ahead of Giancarlo Stanton, who only who, who started for a 77 he was He was 62 games, 65 RBIs, 29 home runs. Are you talking about last year? Last year, yeah. Oh. Who cares? Because <laughs> it, it just annoys me when they say that he, he, he that he was the uh, uh, winner that they, they got the winner of the MVP, the Yankees. Because I think you think it should I be JD think, playing half a season in Arizona. Yeah, but in that half a season, he got. I mean, it's not going to happen. It didn't RBI. happen with Cespedes in 2015. You're not going to be MVP playing uh, half a year generally. Rick Sutcliffe happened once. No, I'm not saying he should be MVP. I just say he should be should have been ahead of Giancarlo Stanton. Yeah. Well, who do you like this year in the AL, Allen? Who you got? Martinez again. Yeah. Mookie Betts is more valuable to that team than JD. Yeah, but no amount of defense and speed and whatever makes up for uh, 50. 50 gap in RBIs. Yeah, but all those RBIs are him driving home bets. <laughs> Not all bets. Some is being Nintendo, Some is... Uh, I know, I know, I know. But bets to me is far more valuable to that team overall than J.D. Martinez. And maybe it turns out that they split some of that uh, vote, but I don't think so. And Mookie Betts, what he does defensively is one of the most valuable outfielders in baseball. Yeah, the base running does matter. And Mookie Betts doesn't have a ton of RBIs, but that's because he's hitting leadoff. And he's asked to score runs. And uh, you look at what he went out and did this year. Uh, Mookie Betts is the MVP. And producer Ray, you're the Red Sox fan. If you're saying who's more valuable to the Sox this year, are you taking Mookie or J.D. Martinez? Sorry to say that uh, J.D. Martinez has been more important to the team this year. What? I'm, Mookie Betts is the better player, no doubt. But the most important transaction that they made was getting J.D. Martinez It's not about most in. important so me, transaction. That's it's about the most, most valuable player. Who's the, most, the valuable most valuable player, player on the Red the Sox? Who, without him, they wouldn't be where they are. So without, where would they be without Mookie Betts? He was already there. <laughs> but that's so silly. It starts anew at the beginning of the year. You can't say, well, because they brought him in as a free agent, he made all the difference. Mookie Betts improved as a player as well. His batting average went up 80 points from last year. So uh, even though he was there, uh, if you want to try to even measure it against last year, still his improvement, Mookie Betts, is one of the big reasons that this Sox team did take off in the way that they did. I, mean, I don't know. How I, you're I compare argue. it to when they had Manny and, and Poppy together. Who was the MVP there in that case? Who would you it varied say? Varied by year. Sorry, it varied by a season. It wasn't to, always to me, one or the other. To me, it was always Manny was more valuable than Ortiz because he made Ortiz that much better. Just like JD Martinez makes Mookie Betts even that more dangerous. How, how does he do that? Just his bat in the lineup. I mean, he extends the lineup. They don't even hit next to each other. Great power. But he doesn't even protect Mookie Betts. He's hitting three usually, and Betts is one. But he's in that part of the lineup. He's so much better. I I, I don't know. I see it that way. I know, you know, J.D. Martinez racks up those RBIs. And listen, J.D. had a ridiculous year. He's tremendous over the course of this season. But you compare him to Mookie Betts. Betts hasn't beat in batting average, in on-base, uh, let's see, slugging for bets is 640 for J.D. Martinez. It's 534. So even the power bets are going to be 629 for um, uh, for J.D. Martinez. It's 640 for bets. So, again, even the power 
Mookie Betts is beating out J.D. Martinez. To me, if you're saying J.D., you're simply crediting him for where he hits in the lineup and his ability to rack up RBIs and not looking at the whole picture and completely ignoring the defense as well. If Mookie's a better offensive player and J.D. is mostly a D.H., in what world are you looking at J.D. Martinez ahead of Mookie in that way? So then your argument a few about the a few years ago, then Ortiz could have never been because he was always a DH. So Well, you should factor in. It doesn't mean you can't win, but if I'm making the case that Mookie Betts is the better offensive player than JD Martinez, and he's one of the better defensive players in the league, and JD Martinez generally doesn't play defense, what leg are you standing on here? Again, what do you consider most valuable as opposed to most outstanding? It's always an argument I've had with that with that entire that entire argument. So just no, because J.D. Martinez is the most newcomer. valuable player on a terrible team. To me, that's not MVP. So just because J.D. Martinez is the newcomer. All right. I, you know, I, bets will win. Um, but, you know, we, we, we can have the... And you should hand half the half the award money to uh, to J.D.? <laughs> All right. Juan in the Bronx. What's up, Juan? Hey, how you doing, bro? How's it going? Good. Okay. Uh, first, I wanted to say uh, uh, goodbye, and you guys uh, had a nice run there. You entertained me a lot. Thank you. Thanks, Juan. Okay. Listen, two short comments. Uh, first with Donald, um, all weekend long, um, the Jeff fans were trashing him. And I'm saying, uh, you want this guy to be Joe Montana with uh, five games into his rookie season? I mean, come on, you know? And it's going to take I some time. This was a, a good performance for him. It was nice to see him connect with Robbie Anderson on some deep balls. That That is a weapon that Donald had not taken advantage of, and he showed that he could make those kinds of plays down the field, which he missed against Jacksonville the week prior. So, yeah, yeah it was encouraging for Donald. And, yeah, and listen, one, um, uh, in, um, uh, one last point, I want to tell Eli, stay clear of whatever this guy called himself. Stay clear of these guys with the crack music. It never ends well. With Thank the, you. Uh, okay. Uh. <laughs> Uh, 800-321-0710. Again, 800-321-0710. We will have Clark Judge, Talk of Fame Network, go around week six as we uh, approach week six of the NFL season and uh, some of the storylines developing uh, around the league here. Sports Zone with Pete McCarthy on The Voice of New York, 710 WOR. It's the WOR Sports Zone with Pete McCarthy on 710 WOR. CC Sabathia has started warming up, so he got the memo. 807 first pitch tonight. Uh, so there you go. 800-321-0710. Uh, and and uh, you got to be pulling just for more baseball at this time of year, right? Even if you love the Yankees, hate the Red Sox, or whatever. If you're a fan of one of those two teams, I get it. You're just rooting for your team. But for everybody else, you just want more baseball. To have no games tomorrow or Thursday, that would stink. I want to see that game five on Thursday night at Fenway Park. That would be fun. No baseball for two days. Nothing fun about that. we got to wait for Dodgers Brewers Friday in the NLCS, and it would be Astros Red Sox on Saturday. I stink to have a gap like that. And that's what happens when you you know schedule the postseason the way baseball does beforehand, where you have some short series in the division series and uh, you lose some of that momentum. Yeah, you want to have it where every night you got some baseball to watch and 
No, it's far cry. Go from four games. Was that on Friday? Next Friday, I think it was. Uh, they were all four uh, postseason series were playing at the same time, and, and you love that sports day to uh, potentially no baseball for uh, for a couple of days here. Exactly when you know you wanted to to max out. Uh, something we haven't touched on here as far as the Giants go as beyond all of the drama uh, that uh, always seems to be a part of things with the Big Blue. Uh, the Giants cut their former first-round pick, Eric Flowers, today. And Flowers had lost his job at, at left tackle this offseason. They went out, got Nate Solder, uh, put him at left tackle, moved Flowers to right tackle. That only lasted a couple of weeks. Wheeler took over for him, and now Flowers is done. And not only is he done just a few years after being a first-round pick. You know, the Giants, they knew they had until late this afternoon to try to trade Eric Flowers, and they gave up on that well before uh, they hit that deadline. So there was no interest uh, around the league in a trade, at least, uh, for Eric Flowers. And we'll see if he ends up anywhere, but that's got to be one of the worst uh, first-round picks in recent memory for the Giants and you're talking about uh, just not getting production out of a guy. I, I mean, period. And you're better off drafting somebody who doesn't even play than what Eric Flowers did in his time with the Giants. He's a turnstile at left tackle. It wasn't any better at right tackle. He played in over 40 games, never really improved. And offensive linemen don't rack up a lot of stats that you could look at to show what his effect was on the team. But there's no doubt that the Giants' offense, it has picked up since they put Flowers on the bench and went to Wheeler at right tackle. And uh, they did that before the Texans game. That was a decent offensive showing for the Giants. They're their best, or offensive showing, I should say. Uh, they had their best offensive showing in years. Just the other day against the Carolina Panthers. And the O-line has been better. It's not great. Uh, they have a tough job. They really have to be perfect every single play in order to protect Eli Manning. Uh, we haven't seen Saquon Barkley able to consistently uh, break off big runs. But it's certainly been better than what they have had. And that offensive line it was such a focus for the Giants this offseason. And uh, you go back, and that's one of those picks why Jerry Reese isn't here anymore. And you know, the Giants made some changes and went after some offensive linemen this year in the draft. But it, it always stings when you miss out on an early pick like that. And if you if you do, you, know, you want to hit on some late-round pick that's going to pay off, but uh, you want to at least get a steady starter when you, know, you drafted fairly early in the first round, especially you taking what's supposed to be a safe pick. Offensive linemen, those aren't supposed to be risky selections. Those, those are supposed to be guys that... You take, you plug in, and they're at least solid starters for you for uh, more than a few seasons. But uh, not the case for the Giants and the Eric Flowers era uh, finally comes to an end. Uh, last night, too, you have Monday Night Football. And I don't, last night, just after the show, I was meeting up, uh, got went out for dinner last night and had the TVs on. So I was like, all right, excited, rush out to get back to Queens and catch the ALDS and then the Monday Night Football game. And it's like, by the time I got there, not long after the show ended, the Yankee game is 10-1 Red Sox, 
And then the Monday Night Football game was a blowout as well. The Saints were up 26-13. to They handled the Redskins easily yesterday. And Drew Brees setting a record along the way. Uh, the most passing yards in NFL history as he surpassed Peyton Manning. Um, so you know, a tremendous milestone for Drew Brees, who has hit quite a few of them. And look, it, it is helpful to play your career in the Superdome. Uh, and he's had a, a tremendous offensive mind with him in Sean Payton. But Drew Brees, he is one of the great quarterbacks and uh, certainly one of the best of this generation. I think Aaron Rodgers, just on talent, is tops. Uh, and you look behind Aaron Rodgers and, and obviously Tom Brady with all the winning that he has done, and uh, it doesn't take you long to get to Drew Brees. It's basically Brees with Ben Roethlisberger, and that is the the tops that you were looking at and, and the best quarterbacks of you know in the last 10 to 15 years. Uh, and Peyton Manning, of course, in there as well. Um, but Drew Brees, what, what a career he has carved out for himself considering well, he wasn't the... He didn't have the easiest path to, uh, you know, even making it in college and play at Purdue uh, to... Philip Rivers being drafted behind him in San Diego, basically spelling the end of his time there. Uh, failed run in Miami, the bad shoulder, and then just taking off in New Orleans, a Super Bowl title on his resume, all of these passing yards, and he's still tremendous. Uh, he, he can still move around. He, he doesn't seem like he ages. Uh, it's, uh, it's a big-time accomplishment for Drew Brees last night. Uh, one of the subplots uh, here of Week 5. We'll be looking ahead to Week 6 as well. Clark Judge, Talk of Fame Network, with us on the other side of this news update.